TV drama podcast. I am Scott, and joining me this week, the ballerino to my El Camino, it's Brian. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Hey, Scott, how you doing? I've had better weeks. I've had better years, but at least we have Fargo to look forward to, because that is what we are here to talk about. The latest episode of Fargo, the sixth episode to be exact, um, which was titled uh, The Tender Trap. Directed by Dana Gonzalez, written by, once again, Noah Hawley. I think this is the first one I noticed where there was a co-writer on it, uh, a fellow named uh, Bob De Laurentiis. Um, don't, know, don't know if he did some touch-up or don't know. I'd have to ask Mr. Hawley, and he's not really available for comment. Um, before we get into the episode, one thing to point out, which, which I thought was very interesting, and I'm sure it occurred to you at a certain point, if maybe, I don't know, if, I'm, I'm wondering if by, it occurred to me, um, after the first two acts, that Juno Temple is not in this episode. We don't have Dot in this episode. But, however, practically every scene was about her in some way. So it always fe- it felt like she was in the entire episode, even though, other than the photographs we see at the very end, and that's probably why they, we wait till the very end to show those at all. Also, the, the shock value of them combined as well. Um, I thought that was a very interesting choice because there have been some episodes which were not just, I mean, obviously she's the main character, so they should it should be centric about her. But there has been at least one episode, maybe it was the first or second one, I think it might have been, where she was in most of the scenes, if not every single scene. She was in like, like eight, at least 80% of them, at least, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. So I, I thought that was an interesting choice, but it made sense. Um, I, we've talked before, I think Mr. Holly likes to be creative and how he just tweaks things from week to week. Either they're going to show us a recap or not. This was a week we did not get a recap. Um, last week we commented on, the, I commented on the fact, wait, why are you giving us chapter five, the tiger this week? This week, the marquee for the strip club acts as the title of the episode. And that mm-hmm. is the first thing we see. And I remember thinking, oh, that's very cute. Very cute. And I also enjoy the fact they essentially, you know, essentially almost bookend the episode, you know, with with the tender trap. So I kind of got a big kick out of that. Yeah, I thought uh, I was curious why we went back there at the end, uh, but but it, it was a nice bookend. And I did a little. Did did you do any deep dive on the term tender trap? I've heard the term before, so I think I know what it means. But if you actually put in the put in the work, I I'd rather defer to you because I might, I might my interpretation of it might be incorrect. So I'd rather hear what you have to say. Well, there's there's two main items in in deep diving on it. One is a Frank Sinatra film. Um, there was a Frank Sinatra film called The Tender Trap about a bachelor who, uh basically is torn between two women and ends up choosing to marry one of them at the end and, and changes his mind. 
The other is a, I don't know if it's a documentary or a movie that was produced in Australia about, I don't know, 10 years ago, where a woman, uh, sounds more like a Fargo episode, where a, a woman is basically convinced online to smuggle cocaine to Argentina, an Australian woman, and she is caught in Aus- in uh, uh, Argentina and ends up going to prison based upon somebody who basically convinced her to do this across the internet. Um, so it's sort of, you know, conspiracy type, you know, online catfishing type thing. But, uh, but I, I thought it was a curious, uh, title and seeing how, what the pressure was applied to the, banker in this uh and where that was going to end and that ultimately being the bookends of the episode uh it probably plays more into the latter than the former but uh but i thought it was it was interesting that there were at least a couple of pieces of you know uh of entertainment that use that exact title right right um I just Google the definition of it just out of curiosity because I wanted to see um, if if I was close to it or not. Um, and one of the reasons I was reluctant to say what I thought it was was it didn't really seem applicable to the episode. So that's why I was thinking, eh, I'm probably wrong about this one. And why give away that card right now? So here it goes. Uh, what does it mean to be caught in, a tender tra- in the tender trap? It means to be in love, bound up in passion, tied up in another person so inextricably and completely that you can hardly distinguish the two halves from the whole, to be melded in body and soul in an achingly tender trap where escape is unthinkable. Interesting. Not not how I not what I thought the term meant. So I yay. It wasn't a wasted day because I learned something today. You know, because for some reason when I heard tender trap, it made me think of the phrase, the term honeypot. So I thought it was yeah. another version of that. Um it's not exactly that. I mean, it's it's in the ballpark, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like you know, kind of like hate and envy. They're, you know, they're in the ballpark of each other, but they're not the same. Um, so I'm thinking about that as well as the descriptions of the two uh, films you mentioned and trying to process um, where Hollywood would be making the connections. And I, I guess you know, just spitballing here. You, you do have, well, obviously there, there are relationships that have been torn asunder, but, you know, but there's still an obsessive nature involved. You know, whether it's Roy, you know, still in pursuit of, of his, of his wife, um, Nadine, or how diff, or, or, or the, or the, all the other different couplings that we, we have here, whether it be, um, Dot and her husband and him finding out about the true story about him, uh, about her rather during the course of the episode. Um, interesting. It's, it's, uh, it, when they title these Fargo episodes, I like that sometimes we have to like really think really hard or, or dig into research to see what it is they're referring to, whether it be something from literature or philosophy or, or whatnot. And sometimes it can just be a title like the tiger. <laughs> yeah. Know? I was like, Oh yeah, I, yeah. I know. I know what we're referencing here. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're not, we're not talking about Schrodinger's cat. Um, this one, uh, you know, when it was the title of the, uh, I mean, uh, 
the name of the strip club, I was like, okay, they're being cute here, but it's got to have a bigger meaning than that. So it's, I guess it's what you were referencing. So whether we helped folks with that or not, I don't know. Um, that opening though, and we can talk about the town more if you like, but the, the, just to get to the opening, um, the, the whole confrontation scene between Roy and one of the bankers that Lorraine had been discussing the deal with. What I really, what, what, just what was enjoyable about it is, um, even again, and I say it every week, it's making me out to probably not be the best of persons, but I don't care. Um, I, I like certain moments to see that the John Hamm character here, uh, Roy Tillman, that he's a force to be reckoned with. And, not so much to what he does to this guy. Because this guy, this, he knows certain things because he's the sheriff. So he knows, you know, the story that, that there was actually a res, uh, re, uh, restraining order, you know, you know, between him and a stripper that, that had or currently worked there, whatever, and certain threats he could levy that way. But it's the power that he's able to exert which impacts Lorraine's deal. So him doing this, you know, screws up a multi-million dollar deal. That's also a huge thing for Lorraine, because we knew that from the previous episode that this is her way of transitioning what her legacy is. Because, you know, there's there's a big difference between just being, you know, a debt, you know, in the debt business, in the reclamation business that way, and actually owning a bank. There's a... I can't remember what show I watched recently. Something I've watched in the last month or so. And a major... Oh, it might have been um, the the show with Damian Lewis and uh, Giamatti. Billions. Oh, Billions. I, if I'm not... I think that was the show. Because I think there's a certain situation at one point where he, he essentially wants to buy a bank. It was, a, it was a major part of a plot line, whatever. But it's also a major exertion of power, even for someone who's already a billionaire. But, you know, owning a bank is, a, is an even bigger deal and for some reason. Um, I guess because you're, the way you can, you just control all, all of those aspects of it. Um, but this scene, I just thought, okay, th this is him dealing with, you know, a white collar dude who's still, you know, obviously, you know, still on the sleazy side because he's coming, the way he's coming out of a strip club and whatever. But um, there's a, the righteousness has nothing to do with the strip club. It's just, <laughs> and, and there's that moment where he, who, who tells him to dance. And then he says, no, no, no one actually wants to see that. Yeah. But he was, he, but he had no problem humiliating him both in front of his friends and, you know, then taking the shirt, whatever, which we find he then puts to use later on. But, um, I, I thought it was a nice little opening to it, to the episode. The way he's, lean back on the car yeah. waiting on him. Uh, and I think probably the most telling thing is the reaction of the two associates. I, I mean, there's no doubt everybody knows who this guy is. Right. And, uh, and him showing up is not in that manner. What was unnerving. And he quickly, quickly exercises all the levers of power on him and uh, the, the power to make somebody turn down millions of dollars. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty big power. Right. Well, he's clearly making it a life or death situation and 
when when it comes to that, you know, then you'll give up the money. But as even and that's what she brings up toward in, in that final phone call with the guy towards the end of the episode. Um, then I think right after that, we then get the scene. I think it's with uh, Indira and her husband Lars. So we've been waiting to see a bit more of the the Lars character. We we already got a got, got a slight sense of him before. We know, and we already know from Indira's comments um, and her conversations that outside of her, maybe her schooling, generally speaking, the reason why they're in such massive debt is due to him, not not her, uh, per se. And we can already so, and we already picked up on the fact. That, okay, he's. We thought, oh, he's kind of a doofus. Not, no, not the, not the way Wayne is, but you know, maybe a little bit. But you know, kind, but very kind of self-involved and narcissistic, and all those other kind of lovely qualities. Um, this scene, we feel, we realize, oh, you know what he is? He's awful. He's an awful person. And it's funny because as as we hear all the things he says, and we can go through it if you like. Um, at one point, you're thinking, oh. Here's a guy who would go right, right, right with Roy's way of thinking, but as but at the same time, Roy would hate his shiftless ass. Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, he'd be a guy who has the right ideas, but you know, but but he does nothing to support them. And I, I just remember, wow, this this guy just became like like what the, might, he might be the least likable person in the entire series, right? That- now. This guy is Gator without Roy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll go along with that. Um, and without the violent streak, or or yeah. or imagine you know, or imagine sense of power. Oh, Gator. Gator would be might be number the number two least <laughs> likable person on the series. Yeah. Which is really interesting because we're so used to liking him from Stranger Things. So doing a good job there, Curie. But um, you know you're you're watching the scene, and the there was one thought. I hate having this thought, you know, especially you know being a quote unquote writer myself at times. But it's that thing when you watch any number of movies or or TV series over the years, and there's the there's the the, the inexplicable relationship, and, and it's mo it's more often the woman is clearly. Uh, a, an educated, intelligent, rational person, and for whatever reason, they're with this horrible person. And I don't. Let me be clear. I don't mean someone who's in an abusive relationship. That's a different thing. That's not what we're talking. I'm not talking about what, what happened with Dot or anything like that. But just someone who's like, wait, at what? What? What could you've seen in this guy? At what point was he not like this? Which would explain why you've been together all this time. And that was my, like the only problem I have. And again, it's it's a conceit of all, all these things over the years. So it's 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 you know you can go back to movies from the 1930s. I've I've said that before, whatever. And they did this all the time back then. But when you see a scene like this, and I don't know how. I mean, she looked a little surprised, but maybe just because he's not, he's had not been very um, confrontational before, and and he just unloaded all this stuff about. The, the type of wife that he wants that you know which she clearly that's not the type of person that she is because you know she's an actual real person um but all i can say is right now 
I was totally wrong about one thing, which we'll get to a little later. There it is. There's a privacy. Uh, <laughs> but I'm switching to this situation here. Like, oh, if this series ends and they're still together, I'm going to be so disappointed in her. <laughs> well, uh, unless he wakes up, but there, there's little hope of that. But I thought, uh, d- do you know what he he never said? He never said he he never said that he truly wanted a family. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like he did say like, Hey, he wished she took the pill so he didn't have to pull out. Uh, but he never said like he wanted a family. It was all about what he wanted, what his needs were. Um, and I think, you know, there is a, appreciation for dot by indira that you know she's this strong woman who's also a mother um and if she didn't care about kids didn't hate kids or or didn't like kids wouldn't be the way she's being with scotty Mm -hmm. um and and you know i think she's as mad at him for almost anything when he doesn't even feed scotty when she gets back later, like, so I think, uh, that contrast and appreciation she has for dot, the thing about him that, that I thought was the most telling was like, there was no talk about their future as having a family or growing something. It was just about his immediate needs and dot dot build a future in spite of having a worthless piece of crap for a husband. It's interesting because when he goes on this extended spiel, you know, dressing her down in a ridiculous fashion because, you know, he, he wants a woman who's basically only there to support him, to cook, to be subservient, to fulfill his sexual needs, whenever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's, <laughs> again, at least with him, because I think we've already established he's not a genius um which then again makes me wonder why is she with him i don't i don't see where ha- i don't think there'll ever be a flashback where like oh i see what you know back then no i, I just I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to imagine that so that lack of uh awareness for him is do you think by saying all this to her this is going to change the situation to what you want it to be because I haven't seen an indication of that. I, I uh, now, I do worry for Indira because perhaps she has had a streak of being somewhat passive here and letting him do get away with all the stuff that he's been doing. These endeavors that le- ultimately lead to nowhere, and not really. She, sh- I, I kind of think that maybe at some point, much earlier, there should have been a reverse of this that she should have confronted him about his clear immaturity, irresponsibility, et cetera. And if things don't change, you know, that would be it. And then you're throwing all the debt stuff on top of it. And, and she hasn't, it doesn't, I mean, at least, at least not not, not to that extreme, not not to that extreme dressing down that, that happens here. I agree, but he is Roy without the violence and the power. Right. Like if he had Roy's power, um, 
he would be that way to her. The only thing stopping him is she supports them. And like he knows that he hates her job because she doesn't pay enough attention to him. But he also knows he ain't doing shit. And if there was a reversal of power dynamic, there's no difference between him and Roy. And I think Indira realizes that. Uh, and I think that's her awakening in this episode. Uh, okay. I'll go along with that because I, th- I think that despite the fact that she's uh, an officer of the law, she has, and you know, you can see in, in her previous episodes dealing with Lorraine and, and, and th- things like that. Um, and the lawyer as well, that she constantly has to kind of fall back on just being being polite and not being uh, overly aggressive, overly authoritative, you know, despite the fact that she could be, you know, I'm sorry, you're, you're an officer of the law, you're, you're carrying a gun, you know. T- totally agree with you, but what happens later? Yeah, that's, I think that's, I, that's why I think you're right about the, I think this scene with him you can make that direct connection to her scene with Lorraine later on, which is by the way, which I, you know, we talked about last week. My favorite scene was between Roy and Lorraine. I, it hopefully, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something as I, as I flip through the episode here, but right now off the top of my head, my favorite scene in this episode is between Dara and Lorraine. And that's where I was talking about being wrong. Um, and maybe I'm happy to be wrong that it wasn't just going to be, Oh, at some point, Endura's going to get the better of Lorraine and, you know, something should make her go away. Cause of no, she does get the better of her up to a point. And then Lorraine flips it in a way which we don't see coming, but it's actually a show of actual respect that she had not gotten from Lorraine up until this point. Right. I mean, I really, really love that scene. And it goes to everything. Not just the dynamic between those two characters and how that power changes and shifts a little bit there, but it's also because Dot is not in this episode, but so much about that scene is about Dot. And it's about what you were talking about before. about And it's Indira trying to like wake up Lorraine about the kind of person Dot actually is, not the little caricature that you've created in, um, and you think of her as, and that she's anything but that. And that's how we know how, and, and that's why we know that she eventually agreed to help her in the previous episode, because there is an, admira- an admiration there. It's not because Dot's a victim, as she points out, it's because there's actually something kind of heroic about what she's had to persevere and survive and do. Um, it, it's that I think that again, I think that's my favorite scene in the entire episode by far. Yeah, I, I agree. So um, I mentioned how they kind of play with things here for whatever reason, they decided to use the, this is a true story at the, at the request of the dead and that, 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 all that stuff. But they waited till the beginning of the second act to pop that in there. I was like, okay, all right. That's all right. You know, I believe that if I'm not mistaken, cause I was thinking about it, I don't remember what season it was. I could have looked this up, but I didn't have the time. I'm almost positive. There's an episode of Fargo from a previous season where they put that at the end. 
I can't remember what episode it was, but I remember laughing like, oh, they did it at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm, if I'm wrong, you know, I'm going to look it up after we do the recording. And then I'll, if it turns out I, I'm mistaken, I'll watch it next week. I don't know if it was at the very end, but there might, I, it was very for some late reason in my episode. mind, it was like in the third act or something. It was the, very late. The and, credits came and, in. And I've seen that happen. Every once in a while, I'll watch a show and, and they'll do something like that. I mean, I always remember there was an episode of The Good Wife where they waited until over half the episode was over before they all of a sudden gave us the opening credits of the episode. Yeah. And I remember going, why'd you even bother? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, so, we, okay, we knew that, we were we were pretty sure they were going to kill the guy that they, they, the wrong, the wrong guy that they kidnapped. I, I think we knew that was going to happen. I don't know if we knew it was going to be in a, in a brutal way and it would be at Roy's hand, though. Yeah. No, but it was pretty... I mean, they drew they drew out his his death rattle. Yeah, that was it. It was actually more extreme than I when I expected. Although it's not like they won't show violence on this show, I just wasn't expecting it because we've had other um, scenes in the previous episodes where we're kind of waiting for something that's going to be like make us cringe or look away. I mean, every time we see a bat with spikes in it, we're like, okay, here it's going to come. It's going to come here. It's going to come here. You know. But that I, I did not see coming. It was just, yeah, the way it lingered on his face. Right, right, right. And uh, and of course, it's it's immediately. I love Gator trying to weasel his way out of the blame, and then keep coming back for the like. You're in the car. You're not in the car. You weren't. No, I wasn't. But I. But um. But the scene with with Roy at his house. Um, I think it's there. I think we, we're seeing these things. We see a succession of scenes with Roy where it's a reminder of what he's capable of and how bad a person he really is. The scene in the beginning at the strip club, okay, this, this is the kind of power he can exert with with barely any effort, no effort. The fact that he can just kill essentially kill an innocent man without giving it a thought or, or or hesitation is another indication. And then when we see um when his what his current wife is cutting his hair and accidentally like snips his ear and he hauls and when he gets up and he unexpectedly hauls off and belts her. It's like, oh, okay, that's that's the reminder. Don't forget this is the reason why she was she left, and the implication has been from the very first scene with him is he doesn't if if the, if he doesn't if the woman isn't performing her duties the way she's supposed to, he's got no problem with domestic abuse. Right, right, and it's I have to say we've we've come a long way in cultural attitudes and and representation on television, and seeing that. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw like a man raise his hand to a woman like that on on something that it was almost shocking uh, in, in the way it should be. Right. Um, but it's a stark reminder that behind his charisma is something really dark. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And. I also felt to a, to, a, to a very slight extent, not so much now because we're already six episodes into it. It, it would have been more so if this had been 
the first episode with him, which we kind of got a little bit of. They they did it in other ways, like that first scene with the couple in the in the diner, or when he's you know, you know, gets up naked in the hot tub <laughs> with the feds are there, or whatever. Um, and you're like, where are you going with this guy? I don't tell you where. There is that kind of like that little shock you get because the actor playing him is a known person. John John yeah. John Hamm's a very recognizable person, but as far as t- television is concerned, in particular, and you know. Either we know him mainly as Don Draper or a few other things, but that would be the, the main one ever. That's something we haven't seen. We haven't seen John Hamm. I, I, at least I don't recall ever seeing John Hamm like haul off and belt a woman before. Don Draper had a lot of flaws, especially where women are concerned. I don't recall him ever doing that, you know? Um, there might have been a shove once, maybe not. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I just I just find it fascinating that we 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 get that uh, the succession of things with him as the reminder of how bad he really is, and I also think there's a certain part, especially towards the end, where it's there's some slight redemptive value to some of the scenes with Lorraine, slight, you know, especially the one with, that we just talked about with her and Dara. I mean, that's kind of a, the big one actually. Um, so uh, speaking of Dara, you know. We have that whole scene with them at the hospital and the feds and the disclosing of the information, whatever. Um, the things I thought were interesting about it. First of all, Nadine's last name is Bump. <laughs> so, so that's that's a fun name. So well done. Yeah. Well done there, Holly. Bump. I, I wasn't expecting that one. Um, and, okay, other than the fact that I love the fact that Wayne brings up uh, the nightmare before Christmas, because obviously his adult-mindedness, he he remember he had he, he must have some memory of the fact that they were wearing all the nightmare before Christmas masks, but he's so out, he's still so out of it, he can't really articulate that's what he's referencing. So they just think he's just babbling, whatever. But speaking of babbling, and this was the mo- this might have been the most bizarre. Well, let, let me let me stop oh, you for oh, you know where I'm gonna go. Okay, okay. Before go I forget, I know where you're gonna go. You're gonna get a wank, but. Um, but I wrote down his quote, Wayne's quote, because I thought it was so good. All right, go ahead. He said that talking about Nightmare Before Christmas, he said, that's a weird movie. I want to say I dreamed it, but in real life, (laughs) (laughs) that was a beautiful quote because it really seems nonsensical, but it's really, really almost true. Yeah. Yeah, within a space of a few minutes, but there's a there's a few nicely quotable things that happen in this episode. Um, the scene that comes up after this has has a couple as well. But like you said, you know where I was going. Like, all right, so I I just got through a little while ago talking about the inexplicable. Why would Indira be with Lars to begin with? Because of what a schmuck he is, and it just I I don't see at what point in her life she would have fallen for this. Whatever. Okay, something is now top that. <laughs> the Wayne's father, which means Lorraine was with this guy. What? How? <laughs> I, I am speechless about. I mean, other than getting a sense like, okay, this kind of explains Wayne a little bit, <laughs> but. All I wrote was like Wayne's dad is a total goof. Yeah, <laughs> and, he's a he's odd. 
ballerino. <laughs> the male of the species. He wanted to be a ballerino. That's a ballerino. <laughs> <laughs> and then don't we see him later at the house? He's like playing like war games with yeah. toys or something. Ugh. So uh, it's one of those things like I suspect I'll be surprised if we ever get an explanation for, wait, how, I mean, is is it a money thing, maybe? And I, I need I kind of want to know, but I'll be okay if we never get an explanation for it. But I kind of want to know what. Yeah, how do the how do those two end up? Because she's clearly in charge of everything. So, so what is his role? What 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 is he? I'm very I'm that you know what I am curious about that. So it's it's it's. Yeah, it, it was the thing that let me kind of scratch in my head. I was like, oh, okay. Because the lawyer doesn't really talk to him, just deals with her. Interesting. Maybe he had an accident himself and he's maybe lost some brain matter somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> so, the now you had said in a previous pod, because we were talking about how they would eventually deal with Munch. And... I think I was of the mindset that there was no way he was going to let it stand because he even entered his home and went into the twins' bedroom or whatever. And because I think you were kind of picking something different than that, if I recall. And it feels like it was more something you were thinking than I was thinking because he just, because he's dealing with so much, he just wants to make this guy just pay him and make him go away. But it's a good, it's, oh, speaking of reminders, the reminder with the, with the scene between Roy and Munch is um, that Roy wasn't involved in the original deal making with this guy. Which is, which is the, the more you think about, and it's funny because then when we, if you remember that previous, that earlier episode, because it was Gator who was organizing this thing, but Gator was working with the other, had, had dealt with the other guy. He, he wasn't even aware of the Munch person. Munch was the person that that other guy went and went to go get. Um, even though everything, the way Munch talks, he ex- it seems like he was the one in charge because he's obviously the more dominant personality between those two. Um, but I, 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 again, I, I liked the conversation. If you, if one can call it that, I guess it's a conversation between Roy and Munch. Um, it does show a certain yet another little shading of Roy here, and he's trying to, you know, he's tr- trying to trying to politic a little bit here, but also trying to make sure everything's fine. But Munch is a pithy guy. <laughs> the thing about the the being a man of few words, and <laughs> he talks about how you only have so many words in one's lifetime, and he then he implies that they. they Sounds like he's implying that they both might not have that much longer to live. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's man it. has only so many words in his lifetime. For us, there are very few left. Right. And then he says something which I've a, a variation on a kind of line I've heard before about um, you know, if you if you if you're digging a grave that's not filled, then it's, it's then it's just a hole or, or right. something along those lines, which which I thought was interesting because it sounds like okay, he it sounds like he's kind of thinking that he should still be in pursuit of the tiger as opposed to giving up. Because there's a little bit of what Roy is saying where it sounds like he's almost wondering, should he continue trying to pursue her or not? And Munch, M- Munch's take seems to be, he should. 
which uh, which is a little surprising. I would have thought he would have went in the other direction on that one. Well, it it's a great statement open for interpretation, right? Um, you know, is it the grave he he dug for Gator or or uh, Roy? Is it him telling Roy that you know he needs to see his thing through? Um, it, it could play on multiple levels and the way that actor delivers such lines is so odd that, that, uh, it, it makes it even better. Uh, I mean, with just a few lines that there's a real menace, uh, that, that leads into the confrontation, the classic Fargo confrontation where somebody could have walked away possibly and they can't let it go. And and it's going to lead obviously to something awful. Right. Yeah, Gator Gator does not learn. And that's I mean that that's typical of you know quote unquote bad characters or tragic characters and usually the characters that don't learn usually die. I got a I got a sneaking suspicion Gator is not going to make it out of the series alive. <laughs> you know, just whether it be by Munch's hand or or something else. Um, and you're right. I, I didn't really expand in my head to think of it that way, but yeah, the ambiguity, ambiguity of, uh, the whole grave thing is he could easily just be talking about his own, uh, view of things and his own issues. And maybe this money doesn't necessarily make them square, or maybe he's square with him, but maybe not Gator, so on and so forth. So we'll see. But the fact that I guess that's a tracking device that Gator put on the car. It is, but were you were you amused by the fact that in 2019 he's using something that looks like it was like from Get Smart? Yes, it was ridiculous. I was like, "What is this?" I was expecting a little boop, boop. Yeah, you know, a little, a little, a little uh, you know, screen. <laughs> 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 what is that? Like, because and when he actually when he pulled it out, and I was like, "Wait, wait, it's not a, it's not a." bomb is it it's like no no that 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 that's gotta be a tracking device all right all right so obviously he he didn't go get one of those fancy ones from that we saw on like breaking bad which apparently you can just get any old home depot and find or something um anyway so what else do we have here the feds informing roy feds informing roy where do the feds inform roy no this this is where the feds are talking about Roy with Indira um, and she protects dot. Um, oh, okay. Thank you. I, I, it's where they're, they're basically telling her like what they know of him, that, that, right, that he, right. people disappear around him, that, you know, all this stuff. But Indira is keeping her cards close to the vest because she now she's now seen the extent of the power of all these people around her and she's not letting, she's not saying she knows where, where she is. Right. Okay. I love that. In my right notes, I don't even know what the hell I've been like, wait, I don't remember the feds. Inf- oh, that makes much more sense now. Um, so we, we do eventually get to the thing where, Oh, by the way, we were talking. Weren't we talking about someone not being a very good liar on this before, or just, or just the lies themselves are so obvious that they're yeah. unconvincing? So the fact that the name on the drum, the thing on the drum set says "bad liar," I thought was yeah. kind of amusing. I was like, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's referencing the show itself. Um, 
and it's and it's at some point after this is when um Lorraine finds out um there's the shirt and the t- and and the paper that says not on my watch with the star on it my only problem with the, I, I, I don't want to say I had a problem with the scene I mean, it, was, it was fine it was her realization what's going to what's happening here and this is like this becomes like the, the it, it, I needed like Bugs Bunny to walk out like you know of course this means war because now, yeah because the escalation is now going to start you know especially when she mentions stealing an election which is kind of funny in an episode that we see we actually see Donald Trump on screen you know and then, we, then now we're going to get references to stealing an election in the same episode yeah. so they're, they're hitting that one pretty hard here but my one again tiny issue it's just, just it, you know kind of like the Indira Lars thing but you know it is what it is I thought Dana should have been a little bit smarter in that scene I, I don't understand what I understand a slight bewilderment but there's enough things there for him to have some kind of inkling. Maybe not a complete one, but you know, the star on the paper is like you can't figure out what that is. You can't. I can see what it is. You know, why wouldn't you put it together? You know, because she clearly knows what it is pretty instantly. You know, so I, I kind of, I just wanted him to be smarter in that scene. You know, and 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 you could have done that scene. Could have played the exact same way with him, kind of having at least some inkling about what it was i I said inkling twice but you know what i mean i just it just bothered me a little bit i i think the the implication is that i think even if he figured something out he wouldn't show her up um Mm, okay that that and i'm not i'm not saying he knew and played dumb he he may have been dumb in that moment but you get the impression with the way he she deals with the banker at the end right that he's her he's her blunt instrument blunt instrument um and he knows that role very well right okay yeah it seems that although he's the lawyer he doesn't seem to really in in, in at least in what i've seen he doesn't seem to really act as a consigliere for her i think she she so she doesn't look to him for advice she just looks to him to follow her orders so she you know he he's her Michael Cohen. He's her fixer, right? Like right, right. she tells him what to do, and he tries to go do it. Yeah, that make that makes sense. And that's when we get to the scene where, with Indira, the scene between Indira and Lorraine, which is again now we're here. It's my favorite scene in the whole thing. Um, the the way because he almost want to cheer Indira that she's actually standing up to Lorraine, and and up, and up to this point, other than maybe Roy, and I guess that's, they're the two, like, real strong, dominating characters in the entire um, series, at least the two dominating, somewhat negative characters, I guess, or antagonists, to a certain extent. Um, we haven't seen that with Lorraine, and it changed, just, I, I love the change, and how that happens, and the offer of a job for, for her security, whatever, which it, that's a tough one. It's a tough one for her. Cause you know, you want to go, Oh, she's going to be good and righteous and not, and just turn, turn it down. Even though she's $192,000 in debt. And this is offering her a way to kind of work that out. She's not going to, she's not going to pay it off. She's not, she's not going to like buy, she's not buying her off. She's going to, she's hiring her for an important position. You know, which shows that she's gone from thinking of you as a meaningless gatekeeper 
to giving you a, a position of authority and importance in her corporate structure, in her life, in fact. Um, and it's based out of this fucking conversation and, and how, and how she talks about that and how she, t- and more so how she talks about her. That's the, that's the thing that's like the real ballsy thing is that she kind of takes Lorraine apart, not simply just her, not taking apart her views on Dot. I thought that was really impressive. Well, Dot's the proxy for her in right. this. And, and, you know, she's standing up for all women. Um, and I like, I like how she basically says, like, you know, Dot's not the one playing the victim. You are. And, uh, I thought that was a really, really well written scene. Um, and there is something to the idea that people who are really good uh, at what they do do appreciate people that will stand up to them and say things they need to hear. Yeah, that, that's like that's why Steinbrenner hired Josh Costanza in Seinfeld that time. <laughs> right. Come on, come on. <laughs> Right. You need, you need to hear the truth. Um, and I, I would imagine Lorraine doesn't get that very often, if at all, ever. You know, her husband doesn't do it. Uh, Danish, as we talked about, doesn't. He just does what she said. Um, and it it I like to the the subtlety of the performance that when Indira walks in with Scotty, like she catches her smiling at Scotty, but then she hides it. Um, that, that she doesn't look at the folder in front of Indira, that she waits till Indira leaves. Then, you know, then she cracks up in the folder, which I thought was a great reveal that then we get to see the horror along with her. Right. Which, which ends up being, I mean, we had known or we had, you know, yeah, we had known from the, the way that. Dot referred to it in her conversation with Indira, and then she was looking at her her own current injuries and seeing that it was probably reminding her of stuff from her past, whatever. But it's still shocking to see the photos. Like yeah, they're, they're, they still end up being more extreme than we might have anticipated. And 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 when we take that, and we also put it together with what we know about when they met, because she was in his life at the age from the age of like fifteen on. You know, so this is something you know, how relatively young she was when when probably this abuse was happening as well. Not that any age is excusable, but it's just it, it just takes it's just it's just one more level of, of horror and seeing um, Lorraine's reaction to it. Um, I think that's key. I think, again, it, it's. We'll have to wait and see how she is in the, in the very next episode, but there's. You know what? It's not redemption. It's making Lorraine more human. Just a just just a little bit. Now, she, now, of course, just before that, we do have that scene with her, and when she pretty much, you know, you know, if if Roy didn't ruin uh, the banker's life, uh, she just certainly did. And and she, and right down to like making sure his kid was going to be going to be expelled from school because they couldn't pay their tuition and so on. Um, pretty much driving him to the poorhouse. Um, I, I wonder if it's coincidental that the character that we both be, that we essentially begin and end the episode and in the beginning of the episode, it's Roy who quite literally dresses the guy down 
and threatens him and screws with him and and pretty much exerts his power over him. And then later it's Lorraine doing it in a totally different way, which is going to leave him in just as bad a spot. Now, a lot of this season is about, um, but you know, the, whether it be the empowerment of women or how women are abused or, or you know, toxic, you know, masculinity and, and abuse, whatever. And this guy who, who gets it on, literally gets it on both ends of an episode. And they gave him a female name. Vivian. His name is Vivian, which, yes, there are men who have names like Vivian, but they're not common. And again, and obviously it's a deliberate choice. And it's the only time we hear, I think, I don't think we, I don't think we had heard his name in that other episode. At least I don't recall hearing it. I didn't recall it before last night. But we certainly hear it here. And it's funny because usually in a lot of these scenes that you think they'd be more likely to refer to the character by their last name, you know, but no, they, they keep hammering the first name. They keep saying Vivian, whatever. And I, and I realized, oh, you know what they're doing? It's an, it's an emasculation here. And and he literally has a name where just by saying it over and over, it, it it accomplishes that. I thought that was a very canny little choice that they did for the episode there. Yeah, I I did too. Um, and I liked that, uh, like like you sort of pointed out, it does make you wonder how good Lorraine can be. Because yeah, did this guy screw her deal? Um. But did did everyone around him deserve that? You know, like like did did she kill a fly with a shotgun? You know, instead of a fly swatter here. Um, oh, it's but, interesting. She did. It, she. I mean, yeah, she did it. She went mob. She was kind of like mobster style here. You know, what what was the Capone line from the Untouchables? You know, I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. Didn't do. Didn't go. He didn't, she doesn't do violent extremes. She has other other levers that she can pull, and you realize, oh, how just how big they are. Like, the fact that she can contact someone, uh, the, the dude from the Security and Exchange Commission, and have that pulled on him. So now there are feds swarming his office and going through his files, and you know, say goodbye to your business, say goodbye to your bank. Oh, and guess what? Your tuition. Say goodbye to your kid being in school, whatever. I wish I had written down the line. I didn't. But she says something that's really, it's one, it's one of the more um, gut-punching lines of the episode, so I really should have written it down. Maybe you m- might recall it. Um, at the, toward the very end of her uh, talking to him over the phone, and where this is going to leave him, like the, what was it, like the, the dead stares of the, of the lifeless eyes of, of your of your children, you know? It, it it's such a a beautifully horrible picture she paints, and it's so. Whereas Roy left him in you know just fearing for his life, and and she makes it clear that I, I can do much worse. Yeah, I I really like the beginning of the episode. This is how formidable Roy is and what he can do. The end of the episode. Oh yeah, well, this is how formidable Lorraine is. Yeah. So you know they're gonna, and we already know she's gonna, she's gonna do the thing with the trying to quote unquote steal the election. So it'll just be interesting. This is not the first time we've seen kind of you know an escalation of hostilities between two um, quote unquote antagonists 
on in a Fargo season, and I'm just so we we know it's going to go pretty. So, so, so I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. It, it is it possible that that it, is there an episode of the show going to air on January sixth? Um, let me do the math. The next episode would be December twenty sixth. So then we have five the and two second. Second, and the next one would be the ninth. So no, it's going to be sandwiched in between. It would them. be funny if on the second or the ninth, Roy's followers get mad about the election and use some of those weapons that he has diverted towards them. Um, uh, but yeah, that I think that would be that would be kind of funny with with sort of for for a season that that Holly says you know it's not intended to strictly be political. There's a lot of political uh, yeah. in it. And I wrote, you know, to, to finish off your thought, I wrote in my notes after that scene uh, at the end, I wrote, you know, Roy has guns. She has f- a phone like and they both can do the same. Like she ended him with a phone call. She, that's her power. Roy has violence. Right. Right. I, I love it that, that so much was made just before that of, of, of uh, making sure Danish gets his cell phone number. Yeah. That was interesting. Or cell phone or something. I, I think yeah, his cell phone. So you're right. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much the episode. Um, and and did, did, did you make the connection? I, I had heard it before, but I thought it was funny in this episode. Do you, do you recall Roy's wife's name? Um, no, I don't remember it. Karen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Didn't didn't hear didn't hear that one. I missed (laughs) missed that one. But he wouldn't he wouldn't hook up with a cat anyway. Alrighty then. And then, and then the ad for the next episode looks kind of bonkers. So, yay! Uh, so, where's Wit? Yeah, I know you're. I was wrong. He, I, he, he did not show up in this episode. So we, although a witty episode, it was still a witless episode. <laughs> you know, they crossed their teeth, but there was, but there was no, there was no dots on the eyes in this one either. Anyway, like a doll's eyes. Um, I'm assuming the problem. With, I think the wit thing, though, is we assume he'll he has to continue to be in this. But right now, where the story is, it's almost like he doesn't have a function for it right now because there is the acknowledgement by ev- everybody acknowledges that was her. We all know that now, right? <laughs> so he, he he served a major purpose in that scene in the hospital a couple couple episodes ago. But right now, it's like, okay, what's the involvement other than being in pursuit of the guy? See, you'd think he'd have to eventually be in pursuit of the guy like Munch, because Munch was the one who was trying to kill him and killed his partner. So that I figured those kind of have to collide at some point, because there has to be a reckoning for that at some point. I mean, doesn't have to be, but I would assume there would be. So. Well, we we could have the three way standoff with Gator, him, and Munch. Yeah, you know what? That that, and especially since he he's already had he's had his issues with Gator. That right. you know what? 
that makes that makes the most sense. So as they build that up, that's probably what's going to draw Wit back into the storyline, and that's that'll be the track that he's following. That makes more sense to me. Interesting. Okay. All right. Should I wrap it up now? Yeah. Good Over. episode. Really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, tight one. Again, an episode that technically it said it said it ran a little bit longer, but it didn't feel like it ran longer. No, not at all. So, kids, people, if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll also enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. Look us up. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page. Join the conversation about shows like Fargo and pretty much anything else TV-related or movie-related or, you know, recipes. I don't know. Um, where can you find us? We're available on most podcast platforms at this point. You know, your, your Spotify's, your Amazon's, whatever. But as always, you can just look us up on podbean.com. Spelled just the way you think it sounds. Um, wait. The way you think it sounds. Never mind. Um, you can access all 390. This is number 396. So all 396 of our episodes can be found there. And, you know, if you happen to use Apple Podcasts, feel free to go there and rate and review us. Even if you don't use it, look us up and rate and review us there anyway, if you like. Or not. I don't really care. In fact, you know what? Find my other podcast there, Scott Forgot the 80s. That's the one that really needs, you know, because it's a new one, you know. Uh, give me some ratings. Give me some reviews. Uh, you know, I'll say something nice about you on the podcast. So, quid pro quo. Anyway, you can find <laughs> us on Instagram, Serious TV Drama is one word. And you can still find us on X Twitter, because that's what I call it, um, at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV Drama. I did enjoy this week's uh, Last Week Tonight, where they, the whole expose on Elon Musk that they did and so we got into all the twitter stuff I was like ah there we go idiot um as far as uh the immediate future podcasts uh obviously i should say brian and i will be back next week to right after christmas uh to cover the seventh episode of fargo but before that one the plan is that i have recruited uh occasional uh, co-host every, once every few years, Kimber will be showing up again, and we are going to be talking about the final season, which was split into uh, four episodes about a month ago, and then they just released the final six episodes last week of The Crown. So season six of The Crown, you know, the, the befores and afters of, of, of Diana and Charles and William and all the others. We will be talking about it um, I would prepare for that to be a pretty good podcast because I have a funny feeling I know where, where, where I know where I'm going to be going with it. And Kimber has already said I've got some strong opinions. Like you know what, that's what podcasts should be for: strong opinions. Because you know, yeah, opinions. That's not a podcast. And yeah, and then in the new year we will be continuing with Fargo, and we will, and we are getting close to the best of 2023 podcast, which may or may not coincide with being the 400th podcast. I think it will, um, <laughs> because I can't come up with an I, I if I can come up with a fun idea for a separate 400 episode, I'll do that. But I got a lot of stuff on my mind, so <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. Plus, people, I'm already going to make Jamie and Brian put them through the paces, make them come up with lists. I'll probably hit them with a few other ideas, too, just for the hell of it. I was going back in my notes from, I still have all my notes from a bunch of the previous best ofs, except one is mysteriously missing. I must have somehow deleted it. And I'm kind of annoyed about that. 
but I noticed there were there were season there were um, podcasts for like okay now we're going to talk about you know the ten best episodes of the year oh and here's going to be the the ten best characters of the it's like okay wh- why was I torturing everybody about <laughs> all this stuff homework <laughs> yes homework yeah here's here's my top twenty three no there's, there's a twenty three <laughs> maybe there maybe there will be <laughs> anyway oh did I say on the podcast or when we finished the podcast did I say it afterwards. Um, the thing with the episode of Homicide that it actually was it wasn't in my top twenty, but when when I found the notes, it was actually number twenty three. You I said mean? it on the podcast. I did say it on the podcast. Okay, I apologize for yeah. repeating myself. I th- I thought it was a conversation I had with you after. I didn't remember it was on the podcast. Anyway, Brian, thank you so much for joining me once again to talk about Fargo. Uh, always a good time talking to you. Yeah, it was really good. And if you guys give Scott a really, really good review on his other podcast, he may invite you to his security team. <laughs> or or worse yet, I'll invite you to be on the podcast with me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody, and good night. Good night. Mm-hmm.